0: it is great to see everybody here today and uh just a little quiz here in two weeks the first service will start at what time and what time will this service start yeah i had the privilege of greeting some people who showed up at eight thirty this morning i just saw it as an opportunity to have a divine appointment and 30 minutes of good quality fellowship out in the lobby so anyway Anyway, just so you know, two weeks from the day is where the shift happens. So today we're continuing on in the series called Facing Cultural Headwinds, The Need for the Holy Spirit. This is the fifth message inside of the series, and today we're going to be looking at the topic of speaking in tongues. And so we're going to be reading the scripture and and developing uh, what the Bible has to say about that. So I don't want to say any more because it's all built into the message today. So. Would everybody stand for the reading of the word? We're going to go to Acts chapter 2. We're only going to read four verses. This is primarily where the event happens that opens the doorway for a new dimension of the Holy Spirit through the church. So let's read together. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Holy Spirit, we pray that you help us to grow in our thoughts, our understanding and our practice. We thank you for the word, because it tells us what we can expect as, as the activity of God comes in our direction. And as it touches our life and as it flows through our life. So we pray that you show us on an individual basis where we are and where we need to go. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. So as we're looking at this particular topic today, boy, is there a lot of different opinions by the followers of Christ about what the expressions of the Holy Spirit should look like. And a lot of times it has to do with some personal preferences, but inside of all that is this issue called tongues. None of the expressions bring more disagreement than the expression of speaking in tongues. If you want to have a long dialogue and have a whole host of opinions, just get a group of Christians together, talk about speaking in tongues, and just hang on for the ride. It will go all over the place, and everybody will be saying, well, according to the pastor I had when I grew up, or according to this, or a book that I read, or I listened to a podcast, and there was this author, and there was this. So I just want to just lay out this. We're not going to be looking at any authors. We're not going to be referring to any podcasts. We're just going to go with the Scripture and direct it that way. Okay. And we're going to be looking at what I think is some unique things for you. And I'm going to lay, listen, I'm actually going to lay out the process for you, whereby we're going to investigate the scripture. I'm not going to leave it a mystery that you're going, where's he getting all this? How about if I just tell you where we're getting all of it? All right. I'll talk to you eight. All right. So you've heard me say it over and over text without context. Okay, if you take a scripture out of its context and just take it as a sentence, you can get that thing to go anywhere that you want. And I will say this, this is one of the reasons there's such disagreements on, the, on, on speaking in tongues is because that's what happens. You take a scripture, a sentence, a phrase, and you, you develop it without many times people having regard for the context in which it was given. So it's not enough to necessarily look at a verse, you got to look at the paragraph. Okay, you got to look at the whole thing. What was the momentum before that verse? And what was the momentum coming out of that verse? And so context is everything. So let me just lay out, experiences are multidimensional. This view is utilized in the courts where truth is being deterred. So there's a lot of ways to arrive at the truth. So let's just say we have an individual who's committed a crime. There's a variety of ways of looking at that one experience from a variety of angles. Number one, you might have eyewitnesses. Okay, that's one. But then on the other hand, if that person was in possession of a cell phone, you can put the person at that location based on the fact that their cell phone ping off one of the towers near where the crime happened. Okay, so that again puts them in the area of whatever happened. Then you have the fact that there might be DNA. okay. And so you develop it. Well, and if they were in the area and they purchased something, now you have a receipt at a particular... So you can know when a person was at a particular place and time because the, the receipt says the store or the vendor and the time and all those kinds of things. And, so, and, and by the way, if you haven't noticed by now, they might even that might even allow them to use video surveillance that's in businesses and such to put the person... So you can see an event can be multidimensional. You're coming at all these, and when it's when all those angles line up, how many know you got your man? <laughs> you know you might be able to mess with one of those or two of those, but man, when you get four or five angles, it kind of like puts a point, a dot, like you're there, you're the person. We know you did it. So what do you? How you want to confess, or are you going to make us take you to trial? Okay. So events are multidimensional. Why do I say that? Because whether you're aware of it or not, we have the same approach. Now the methods are different, but the approach is the same in Scripture. So I'm going to take you to seminary now. You ready? No, you're not ready this morning. How many like to get? How many would like to get some seminary information without having to pay the astronomical tuition? There you go. All right, here you go. So let me let me lay something out in Scripture. How how do we? When we're, when, when we're developing passages of scripture, okay, how, how, can you, how can you do this in a way that you know that you know that you know that what you're saying is true? okay? How do you not arrive at these, some of these erroneous conclusions that some others arrive at? How can you do this from an angle and go, yeah, that's what it means? And it's actually using the method I just described for a court of law, but in this instance, it's a little bit different. So here's how you do this. So number one, you have the immediate context of the event. If you've attended this church, how many know that's the way I develop things, okay? I'm constantly saying, here's what was said, here was the context, here was the environment, here are the people, all the context, context, context. Why? Because the words spoken then get clarity based on the context that it was, those, those words were spoken in. That's why it's so crucial. But there's also two other do- dynamics you have the scriptures that were written previously before the event. So let's just go to Acts chapter 2 today, okay? You realize most of the New Testament has not been written. So when Acts 2 happened, how, were they, how did they check it with scripture? Well, they had, how many know we're, that obligates us to go into the Old Testament, right? So in fact, we, we read that Peter even did that we give a little shot, a a, a small shot of what he was saying because it says he stood up and he even did this. He said, according to the prophet Joel, he says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. And because those people in Jerusalem were Jews, they had a history in the Old Testament. So he knew the authority to appeal to so that they would get it. So he appeals to Joel and then it's so good, 3,000 people get saved. Okay. Now, Now, you and I don't have that type of background, so we might read what Peter said from the prophet Joel and go, well, that's nice. Because we don't have that background, it doesn't have the resonance with us. Now, I didn't say we didn't appreciate it. I'm just saying it doesn't resonate with us to the degree that it did then, okay? So... They would appeal to the Old Testament. Now, the other one is this. We obviously have the scriptures that are written after event. We have that here. Even though the various books of the New Testament were written at different times, according to the timeline of the events, okay, we have a lot of information about tongues and those things coming later, primarily from the Apostle Paul. So, here's the dilemma that I have. I have three ways to go at this today, and I don't have enough time. Neither do you. And everybody said amen because you appreciate that Pastor Greg knows that. Okay, So I have to choose one of these methods. Which one am I going to use today Okay, to demonstrate? Because I can tell you, it doesn't matter which method, which one I choose, because if it's the truth, they'll all point to the same spot. Everybody got me? So I'm going to do the, the, uh, all the scriptures previous... The Old Testament previous to the book of Acts. That's the method we're going to go into today. They only had the Old Testament to appeal to. What did it tell them about what they were experiencing? Now, I was going through this. I I do most of my memorization on Saturday. My wife goes, well, how's it going? I said, I got a serious dilemma. Way more information than I'm going to have time tomorrow. But I think it's really good. So I'm preempting what I was going to say next week, and I'm going to do... Uh, this topic based on the scriptures written after the event next week. So I'm going to speak on speaking in tongues two weeks in a row. Everybody good with that? Wow, that was nice. I appreciate that. So it's just, it's just understanding, okay? Because I don't want to overwhelm you with information. What I want, I want, I want impact. So part of this is like, what am I going to narrow it down to? So today, I will only refer to two scriptures that occur after Acts 2-4. But you'll see why I'm referring to those. But everything else will be previous to Acts chapter 2, verse 4. What did it tell them? So here we go. Here is a scripture that Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12. Everybody read this with me. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. We could have an altar call right there. Wow. I'm I'm supposed to be doing what Jesus did. In fact, he wants me to surpass what he did. That's a high bar. And I don't know about you, but there's no way that can be done in the natural. That is going to require something supernatural. There is nothing that I can do in my natural life that would put me on the playing field of doing what Jesus did, much less doing greater things than him. I can't do that. I'm gonna to have to have help. Can I get a witness on that? All right, that's just saying, There's just, it can't happen. So obviously, we're, this opens the door, Jesus is, this opens the door that I have to be open to the supernatural because we would all agree that what Jesus did was supernatural. Well then, why would I even try in the natural to pull that off? I'm going to have to have whatever Jesus had to pull that off. And so, we're going to develop this a little further. So, we're going to go verse by verse. I'm only going to have four points today. And we're just going to go verse by verse. Each verse is a point in and of itself. So, everybody read the first point, the first verse, whatever you want to say. Everybody read this with me. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place number one it all begins by being together in unity around God's purposes I did not say being in unity because if we're not careful we can be unified around the wrong thing it's not being unified this is not a cult this is not intimidation this is not where you take a blind leap of faith this is not where you have to check out your brain and you just have to trust the pastor it's none of that See, sometimes the call for unity, that's what leaders do. You just need to trust us. We know things. You just need to be quiet and and just go along with the flow. No, it's none of that. What we read here is this. They were unified around God's purposes. What was the purpose? Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem until you have been baptized and received the power of the Holy Spirit. Nobody had any other agenda other than that because they were in agreement why because they were all there and they heard it they were there they they heard the instruction do not leave jerusalem until you have been clothed with power from on high the holy spirit now jesus talked about this in luke chapter 11 too when he did the lord's prayer there's that segment says your kingdom come okay we're not praying for our kingdom that's already been decided on whose kingdom it is. It's his kingdom. So we are unified in this. We need to pray for his kingdom to show up through us. Everybody got? It? That's unity. Unity is we're all here for his purpose. We're not here to work our purpose. The purpose has already been defined. We're not here to discuss purpose. We're here to decide, am I going with his purpose or not? So that's the unity. The unity is this. He calls the shots. Now, I just need to go along with the flow, whether I understand or not, but this is not about following the Pastor Greg's flow. This is about, hey, he said don't leave jerusalem so we'll pray until we receive what jesus said so that was the unity okay so you can see it's very difficult if everybody has a different agenda well i think we this i think we need that we need more of this we we just need to all get on the same page listen not because i say it the scriptures can we all agree we really could use a lot more of the holy spirit through us and in us okay see that's unity now, we can have discussions later about what that looks like, and we're going to go to the scripture. So, number two, everybody read. You're thinking, man, this is going fast. Don't worry. I'll fill the time. Because <laughs> I know some of you are about to be disappointed. Number two, read it out loud. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, here's, we're going to slow this down. Number one, do you see it says the sound like the blowing of a violent wind? It doesn't say it was a violent wind. It said there was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Everybody got it? Here's the other part. This is for some uh, Pentecostals who like to maybe go in the more eccentric expressions. They will say, well, you know, I I imagine they were this and that. And I say, do you realize it just says they were sitting I mean, that is what it says, right? And you know, I looked the Greek word up. What does it mean? You know what it means in the Greek? To posture oneself in a chair. Wow. Now, we know that they were, you know, it was about 10 days of prayer. So we know they were praying, crying out to God and that. But the point being, at this particular moment, it says they're sitting. I mean, you know, you you can't pray intensely nonstop. You know, you might pray, rest a while, pray, rest a while, pray, rest a while. I mean, that's just, okay? And what we learn here, get this, the rest time is just as important as the prayer time. It says they were just sitting. So let's look at this a little further. Why the blowing of the wind? Well, we have to go back to the Old Old Testament. What did the wind symbolize to them? There's a couple verses, there's others, but I'm just going to highlight a couple. What was the big symbolism about it sounding like a wind? You go into Exodus chapter 14, verses 21 and 22... Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and their left. The wind makes a, pay, a way where there is no way. The wind opens up new avenues where there is no avenue. The wind causes an opening to happen where there was no opening well what was the open what was that in the in the in the day of acts well we all know this rome is in power the jewish people are under oppression at times being persecuted and slaughtered and then on just on top of that these jews are about as racist as you can get there was definitely some parting of the waters that needed to happen there was definitely some new pathways that needed to be carved out because the ones that were there were not working. In fact, it was getting worse. Those expressions were making things worse. So God sends his wind and now he's opening up new avenues. And by the way, there's another example of this. You read this in Ezekiel chapter 37 verses nine and 10, where it's the valley of the dry bones. And it says, then he said to me, Prophesy. to to prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to it this is what the sovereign lord says come breathe for the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live so i prophesied as he commanded and breath entered them they came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army the wind brings life where there is no life the spiritual life in israel was just about gone not much hope of anything. There's no horizon that Rome is even planning on. It doesn't even look like Rome is, is the tide has turned. It is just bad. And God's wind is an indication. There's some new things on the way, folks. There's a new breath coming to my people. But that wind also says we're going to be carving some new ways. And some. And by the way, it's not too far into the book of Acts that you realize the Holy Spirit came on the Gentiles And the Jews were not happy about it. And they had to have a church vote about it. I mean, after all, God has to abide by a church vote. Some people think. (laughs) Somebody said, what happens if the church ever votes and it's not God's will? I said, God goes ahead and does it without the church. (laughs) The only thing you're voting is whether you want to be a part of what God's doing or not. But you are not granting God permission. Okay. You just, you're voting on whether we're going to cooperate with God, but certainly God doesn't go, well, the church said, no, I guess we can't do that. No, it's not how it works. Okay. So here's number three. I know you were going fast, but hang on. Here's the good stuff. Well, even better stuff. It's all good. Even better. Read number three. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Tongues of fire wow okay and it rested on each of them what is that about so how many have ever found sometimes the bible gives descriptions of things and you're just going hey god couldn't you found something more simplistic i have because i have to talk about it many times i say you know god speaking in tongues really you didn't have any other options you say, I can't believe you think that. Oh, come on, you thought it too. <laughs> but there's reasons. Okay, we're going to get to that. But what is this tongues of fire about? Well, it goes back. Remember, John the Baptist said this in Luke 3.16. I baptize with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He could have just said Holy Spirit but he said fire why why did he add that he could have just said holy spirit moved on and we to have gotten it but he was very clear that he was making a distinction saying there will be fire why what is that all about well again we when acts 2 happened all they had was old testament right so what does the old testament say about this Let's go into Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 24. It says, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So one of the descriptions it says that God is fire, it doesn't say God's like fire. It doesn't say God uh, symbolizes power. It says, for the Lord your God is, how many know is means actual? He is a consuming fire. So one of the things that they learned was this. When When a fire showed up, especially when it couldn't be attributed to human effort, that fire was called supernatural. And that was a way of going, I think God's here because fire just showed up and nobody started it. We have indications of this. In 1,400 BC, the Israelites are in in the wilderness and they construct a tabernacle. This was the portable church that they could pack up and move. When they dedicated this tabernacle, Leviticus 9.24 says, Fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Nobody caused the fire to happen. It was supernatural. Supernatural. It was a one-time event. God didn't do this every day. It was a one-time dedication. He was saying, that is my house and I'm moving there. And I will show you that that's my house by putting my... He says, I'm a consuming fire. Watch me consume these sacrifices. And the people's response was they had joy and they fell face down. Why? Because God, the house that they built for him, God moved in. They were excited. God took up residence in what we built. This is awesome. So now we go to 1,000 BC, 400 years later. The temple is dedicated. Now let me just say this: verbiage it's very, very careful or very important. You note this. The tabernacle was the that was the name of the portable church. The temple was the site of the permanent one that we talk about often in Jerusalem. Everybody got that? Okay. So now they've done a permit. 400 years later, they permanently constructed this. And it was dedication time. So when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifice. How many know we've heard that one before? And it says, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down, and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement. So much for having kneeling, bitches. <laughs> they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good as love endures. So, what you have here is notice it's the same pattern supernatural fire comes, consumes the altar, the sacrifices, and the people go face down and worship Him. Everybody see that? Here's the question What happened to the tabernacle when the temple was dedicated? Where'd it go? Well, it was destroyed. It disappears. Why? Because God now has a new house. Right? He's not in the tabernacle, he's in the temple. So the tabernacle, they got rid of the tabernacle. They didn't need it anymore because why? God had a new house. Everybody with me? Okay. I'm going somewhere with this if you'll hang on. How many give me five minutes to give you the aha? All right, here we go. Now we come to the New Testament church in 30 AD. When the day of Pentecost came, they were suddenly together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Ooh. Supernatural. Look at that. That separated and came to rest on each of them. Wait a minute. Every time God showed up with that kind of fire, he consumed the sacrifice. This time, he puts his fire on his people. What's going on here? Well, what we have is this. God was moving his presence. Listen to me. God had a new house. What happened to the temple when the New Testament church was birthed? Forty years later... It disappears because God has a new house. General Titus of the Roman army came and in 70 AD, he leveled Jerusalem and he leveled the temple. Jerusalem's been rebuilt, but the temple's never been rebuilt. Why? Because for God, the temple's not a priority. Why? He's already got a new house. You and me. Huh. Oh, I'm not... Now, here's where I have to go outside. I said I would be going ahead and grabbing a couple scriptures outside the timeline, and here they are. But it's 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And then 2 Corinthians six sixteen. For we are the temple of the living God. The tongues of fire was God saying, I'm changing residences. I'm moving from a building to people. Now let me ask you this. Don't you think there might be some obligations in life related to the fact that God now says we're his temple? In fact, in Romans chapter 12, it says, present your bodies as living sacrifices. So not only are we the temple, we're the sacrifice. We're the whole thing. Wow. So what we read here is this. What then are the ramifications of God moving His activity, His, His residence from the temple into my life? I can assure you it's anything but ordinary. See, most of us have never taken the time to process the aha holiness that is associated with God saying, you know that, temp- that tabernacle that they had in the wilderness you thought was awesome? Remember the temple that you thought was so awesome? The same God that was in that temple with the Israelites in the wilderness or the tabernacle, the same God that was with the Israelites in the temple is now the same God that lives in you. Hmm. You see, that sort of opens the mind and the heart to there has to be some things associated and obligatory with that kind of God coming into my life question is what is it so we're going to go to verse four everybody read it all of them were filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them so let's begin let's start here notice it says all of them so so much it's for some people and it's not for other people says all of them i looked up the greek word for all Would you like to know what the translations and the definitions of the word all is? Everyone. And you look up the word everyone and it means all. (laughs) Without exception. So all were filled. What does it mean filled? It means supplied. It means furnished. It means God's presence was completed in a person's life so let me and, and then he uses the word enabled. it means to give or grant or permit or cause to come forth so let me put the two concepts together to basically describe this many of you have experienced this process but not in this expression but you've experienced the process so let's go back where where did you experience the process The day you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you recognized that you needed to accept Jesus. You recognized that, and you you had some words in your head that you know that you needed to start saying, like, Jesus, forgive me. I mean, you knew. I doubt if anybody here went home on their laptop and typed a thesis paper of your salvation prayer, printed it off, and read it. Most of you came to a recognition. I have thoughts and motions that are happening inside of my heart and my head and I I need to start praying these things. And so you prayed and you didn't even know every word and every sentence and every concept that you were going to be using. In fact, some of you started praying and found yourself confessing things. Then you're like, I have no idea where that came from. It just started coming as I was talking. And I say, welcome to the fact of how the Spirit enables us. Because if the Holy Spirit doesn't enable us, we can't be convicted of sin, much less repent. So you are familiar with the fact that you start with what you know, and when you start with what you know, the Holy Spirit comes in behind and keeps supplying it. Some of you, your salvation prayer went longer than you thought because you didn't know how, you didn't know you had that much to confess. some of that stuff you forgot, but as you prayed, God kept bringing things in memory. And you, God, forgive me for that. Forgive me for that. In fact, some of you probably even had the Holy Holy Spirit in that prayer say, and you need to go make some things right with some people. (laughs) When you started that prayer, you had no idea that's where you were going. But as you prayed, you realized you needed to reach out to some people. And ask them to forgive you the way Jesus had asked you, you asked Jesus to forgive you. So I say that this concept of the Spirit enabling us, we are familiar with it. It's just that we're, we lean into the fact that at least I can say it all in English. But there's another dimension of the Holy Spirit. So here's the, I said this earlier, I kind of got ahead of myself why is tongues the manifestation i mean come on god why couldn't it be uh i don't know if if you're filled with the holy spirit you go fishing and you get five fish on one hook (laughs) you say well that's weird hey jesus told his disciples if you need to go pay taxes go fishing open the mouth and the coin will be in there i don't know about you but that's the way to do taxes (laughs) okay i mean so you know you're just kind of like hey he can why why did he decide tongues? Was the manifest. Because you hey you, th- you say that's so uncomfortable. Hey, you should have to preach about it. Okay? You're just like, man, Lord, it's just so far out of the and I'm, I'm gonna tell you, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you if you get close to me, whether I'm down here or you know, when we're praying, I'll shut off my mic. I'm many times I'm I'm praying in tongues, okay? I don't do it to impress. I'm not doing it. That's why I shut my mic off. My goal is not to impress or to force something. But, so I'm not ashamed of who I am and what I believe. But I am just saying it would be easier to talk about something you know, different. But that's what he decided. So how did God decide this was the manifestation? Why? Well, we're not going to jump forward. We're going to go back to the Old Testament. Everybody with me? We go back. How, how would they understand this? So you come to... The Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, most of you are familiar, and this is interesting because there's a phrase in here that needs to be highlighted. It says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered over the whole over the face of the whole earth. They understood them staying unified, there was a power in their unity, and that's why they were making this concerted effort. We need to stay unified because if we're not careful, we'll be scattered. We have a very unique power that we have only if we're together. That's, they understood that. So, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Notice that's what God said. God said, they're one language, one people. Sin has entered the world and they have a power from their unity and without Without a holiness, that sin will abuse that power and it will become destructive. So, come let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. God says, I have to stop this power they have because nothing is impossible, but they don't have the character to handle it now. So I have to stop what I gave them. So the Lord scattered them from there over the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Notice God said there was nothing that was impossible for man. God says, I have to stop that gift I gave them. So now we come to Pentecost. In Babel, let's look at the comparison. In Babel, you have, there was racial unity at first. But when you come to Pentecost, you have racial disunity at first. Hey, the Jews don't even like the Gentiles. They don't like the Romans. And you read later in Acts chapter two, all the nationalities that were represented, there's racial disunity all over the place. So Babel starts with racial unity, Pentecost star, starts with racial disunity, and what happens? Babel be, then becomes a visible human work, but Pentecost becomes a divine work. Then Babel is, a one, is one language confused, but in Pentecost, it becomes many languages that are clarified, they are understood. God says, look at the conglomerate of languages, and they all will be understood. Because people on the street were saying, I hear my language, I hear my language, I hear my language, I hear my language. At Babel, you had a united people that became divided, but at Pentecost, you had a divided people that became united. And finally, you have Babel symbolized God hindering man. Babel was God saying, this has got to stop. In Pentecost, you have God saying, it's time to help him. Because they cannot do what they have been called to do unless they're in unity. So here's what you have. In Babel, they were in unity in the physical. In Pentecost, God says, I need you to be one in spirit. And by the way, we can go back to the Gospel of John, when Jesus said that his true worshipers will worship him in spirit and truth. And so we see... See, what you have here is, let me me summarize it this way. Pentecost is God returning the impossible back to man. Babel, he took it away from man. Man can do the impossible, I'm taking it away. In Pentecost, God says, if you have my Holy Spirit holy, I can give the impossible back to you. These signs and wonders will accompany those who believe in my name. I'm jumping ahead. Paul's writings, Ephesians. To the God who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. I don't know about you, but I got a pretty good imagination. And it says that God can do immeasurably more than I can ask or imagine. The Holy Spirit was God returning the impossible back to man. Saying, go for it. But don't do it without the Holy Spirit because you'll destroy what god intends so here's the question as we wrap this up you say i've prayed to receive the baptism of the holy spirit but i'm not spoken in tongues what do i do fair question others if i speak in tongues how do i know i'm not just making this up fair question what if i told you there were scriptures that speak to this but because of how we fragment scripture in our teachings that we fail to see the context. We've preached the verses, but we've never looked at them as a paragraph. This is answered in a paragraph of scriptures. But the scriptures that are used in this paragraph are often used in isolated cases. It makes sense? They take the... So I'm not going to read anything that you don't know, but what I'm asking you to do, would you please pay attention to the entire paragraph? you will see a whole different meaning on this. Everybody ready? And it answers these two questions. Here we go. It's in the Gospel of Luke. Then Jesus said... I like it when Jesus does the answering. It gets me off the hook. Pastor, I didn't like what you said. I didn't say it. I just read what Jesus said. I read it. So, you know, your is not with me. Okay? This is Jesus. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend... Lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. Hallelujah. There's a spiritual component that is associated with shameless audacity. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, notice, notice this is continuing. You, we're continuing the thought. You all with me? So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and it will you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. If you go into the Greek, it means keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. Have shameless audacity. Okay? Verse 10 For everyone who asks means keep on asking, the one who seeks keeps on seeking, finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, now how many know we, we're still continuing on with the same thought? See this? Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Everything that I just read was associated with the Holy Spirit. I asked for the Holy Spirit. Nothing happened. Keep on asking. Would you have some shameless audacity? Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Keep on asking. That's not my verbiage. That's the scripture's verbiage. You say, well, how do I know that it's the real deal? Because he said, if you ask for a fish as a father, if your your child asks for a fish, you're not gonna give him a scorpion. You're not gonna give him a snake. Listen, it says, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, God says he will stop cons from coming in. God says that's holy ground. He's not gonna let anything come in that's not from him. He'll protect you. Wow. So again, you come back to that I just need to have the confidence and the boldness that he wants me to have it. Oh, he wants you to have it. Yes, he does. Absolutely. This is not, and you know what? This doesn't mean that things have to get crazy emotional. They received it sitting down. Sitting down. While they were resting from prayer, God says, this is a good time to show up. That way nobody gets the credit. They're resting. Now let's let them have it. Don't underestimate the power of just staying hungry. Keep on knocking. Keep on asking. But like your salvation, at some point, the Holy Spirit and your will is going to merge. And you have to say it. He's not going to mug you. And everybody said amen. Amen.